So you listen to me and you listen well. The prophet is not the Israelite version of the soothsayer. Are you behind on your credit card bills? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. On the contrary, the prophet is something quite different. Is your landlord ready to evict you? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. His task is not to report on the events of tomorrow or the next day in order to satisfy human curiosity or the human need for security. Does your girlfriend think you're a fucking worthless loser? Good. He shows us the face of God, and in so doing, he shows us the path that we have to take. Pick up the phone and start dialing. The future of which he speaks reaches far beyond what people seek from soothsayers. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. He points out the path to the true exodus, which consists in this. All you have to do today is pick up that phone and speak the words that I have taught you. Among all the paths of history, the path to God is the true direction that we must seek and find. And I will make you richer. It is the translation of this faith into the everyday life of a community before God and on the way to him. And the most powerful CEO in the United States of America. Welcome to episode 222 of Catching Foxes. We are talking about money, greed, security, and what does it mean to be prophetic with our cash and loving our neighbor. Today we're going to talk about a whole bunch of themes and we're going to use the rather mature content of The Wolf of Wall Street. However, I have edited it down, so hopefully there is zero cuss words in this entire show. It's an important topic with important issues and was brought to you by our friends at catholicsocial.media and dailycatholicwisdom.com. Wonderful sponsors. Check them out later in the show. The past week has been very interesting as it relates to money and my thoughts around it. So I'm going to process out loud and we'll just kind of see where it goes. Okay. As is tradition here on this on this here podcast. I was ve- I had a tweet about a week ago on Giving Tuesday aimed at a lot of young adults. And it came from uh, a certain office that served this age group, did a thing for Giving Tuesday, and not that many people gave. If you compare the amount of, the, the amount of millennials and early gen and uh, first the first wave of Gen Z that go to these events, that go to the things put on by this ministry, barely 25% of the people involved gave anything. And these are supposed to be your hardcore committed Catholics, the ones who are in, the ones who go to Mass every day, the ones who, for the most part, are full-on disciples, if not missionary disciples, not your ones who, like, these are ones who are supposed to be, like, they're, they're, you know, in the trenches, they're, they're in and I was like what the hell you guys and it and like part of as you guys uh, as as everyone now is, is aware of I work in fundraising for the Glen Mary Home Missioners and a, the bulk of the people who give us money are all baby boomers and I'm okay I'm saying that it's just kind of a reality within the church they're the yeah. ones who are giving yeah. the most and we do always have prayer and intentions on all of our appeals and stuff and the most repeated phrase we get on there is pray for my kids who have on the left of faith. And so you see how like, like 
the amount of like young adults that aren't there in the church, how it eats them alive. Like I see that a lot, and I've seen the pain that it that it really causes those people. And you'd be amazed at the amount like baby boomers who give five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty five dollars. Not a, not a lot of money. It's not always the one to ten thousand dollar gifts. Those things do happen. You you like of course they're there in like the Catholic world, but like. At least boomers give. It is ingrained yeah. in their brains that they need to give. And Catholic millennials, the ones who go, so I'm talking to like the real ones, they're not giving. Kind of had a tweet about it. I was saying like, this is like you should go to confession for not like for not giving. It's funny. Like some people responded with just a link to the to our on the Patreon page, which at the time kind of annoyed me because I couldn't tell if it was a joke or they're trying to call me out and i was like this is not a ministry you don't have to give to us like don't give to us I'm, like we didn't do anything we weren't trying to get anyone's money on giving um, on giving tuesday we do that every friday uh, <laughs> like but you know like but we're not like we've been pretty clear like there there you know is a ministry that comes out of this but this isn't a full-on ministry this is just a podcast it's just a podcast that we that this like, is we like doing yeah 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 and um, that that absolutely has like a ministry and 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 an evangelization element to it, but it's ultimately at the end of the day, we just hope to like like one just be a fun thing that that you hear that yeah. God can, that God can work through. And it started me down this weird like uh, this like really like rabbit hole uh, hole is that the right word rabbit yeah. hole? It's weird how when you ever like whatever yeah, you're doing <laughs> talks, you ever like say stuff. You're like, holy shit, this is a common phrase I say all the time. That just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, all the time. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> I watched the Wolf of Wall Street. Well, I'm no, sorry, I didn't. Let me let me back this up a bit. I listened to a podcast on the Wolf of on the Wolf of um, Wall Street. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Okay. What were your thoughts on it? It's weird and stupid and annoying. But uh, I also watched some videos of the guy Jordan or whatever the guy that it's made after, and I'm like, wow, Leo really nails it. <laughs> like, unfortunately, Leo really nails it. Yeah, so the, the, so for those who have not seen it, and I actually don't recommend that yeah, you watch okay. this film. Uh, I just I think it goes a little bit. It shows how film can be uh, kind of dangerous, but because it's basically no, it is pornographic in a lot of parts. Yeah, um, it's about this um, Wall Street guy back in the '90s who was in his early to mid twenties who made tens of million dollars a year screwing people over. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, because penny stocks were unregulated for the most part at that time because they were so low dollar. And then uh, he figured out a way to make millions by ripping, essentially ripping they, yeah. people off, you know, a penny at a time, basically. Well, and they would do this like pump and drop kind of thing where they would pump up one stock and they would also own things in that stock. So they would like raise the price of it. Yeah. And then they... Uh, would take their stock that they had, then they would get rid of that, and then the price would drop. Right, and so they so anyways, and these they did horribly debaucherous. I mean, I'm talking like debaucherous shit. Like it's yeah, it was a it was a bacchanal in their in their offices, and the the cover of the Wolf of Wall Street shows it. I mean, this they would take uh, little people. Put them on Velcro and throw them against the wall as like these hilarious celebrations. There's all this sex going on and all the strippers running around in the middle of the office and all that stuff. It's and so there's this. Have you heard of the um, the 
Rewatchables pod, pod, podcast. Uh-uh. I was listening to the Rewatchables podcast, which is on the Ringer on the network, who are kicking butt right now with their uh, with their podcast network. They've got some great stuff going on. But um, anyways, uh, and it, it's it's it was really it kind of so I hated the Wolf of Wall Street when I saw it. I was like, this is terrible. They're just like, this is this is. Um, this is Scorsese at his worst, you know, uh, this is just cause it's, it's him highlighting all these bad things. It's just like, I mean, it is like three hours almost of just people doing awful stuff. And then here in this podcast, they were like, it kind of like opened my eyes to like, okay, I see what he's doing now. And I don't want to watch the whole thing, but I'm going to go and revisit it really, really quick. And there's one scene that really hit me and it was, um, the scene so there's this part it's in the beginning of the film kind of like the first like uh it's in the it's in it's in the first quarter of the movie where he started his you know huge company and they do 28 a million gross revenue in sorry gross commissions during their like during that month and then there's like a marching band comes in then they uh have people bringing in like champagne then they have like hundreds of like prostitutes Come in, and they actually like shave this woman's head. One of one of the sales associates, they say, like, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna shave her head for because she's for like ten thousand dollars. And to celebrate with our weekly act of debauchery, I have offered our lovely sales assistant Danielle Harrison here ten thousand dollars to shave a fucking head. For breast implants, he's already got C cups, but now she wants fucking double D's. Is this a great fucking company or what? Is this the greatest company in the world? Donnie, blow the roof off this So they do that, and the guy on this own podcast says like we have seen them like this is they're in hell right now like this is hell yeah absolutely and i it was it kind of took me by surprise because this is like 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 most people who create podcasts in terms of like pop culture and stuff they're not a religious podcast and they seem very agnostic at best yeah and i was like oh my like he's and so i went and i like rewatch that scene and he's totally right you are seeing their descent into like debaucherous hell and if you can detach yourself from the tna which is pretty easy to do in there um it, there's this and I, I remember i had this thought the first time i watched it when they i'm gonna shave the girl's head it reminds me of auschwitz and yeah. of and of like Schindler's List, and I think that's intentional. And you see, just like this thing, when we watch other movies, when we saw that happen, we're we're like horrified by that. And in um, this, you think it's played off as you know a laugh. Look at how crazy these guys are doing for what the, the crazy stuff they're doing for ten grand. But it's actually like look at how much they're willing to degrade others 
for 10 grand or for money. You know, and it just was like, I was like, holy crap, that's actually like, because it's, it's actually, it's meant to be horrifying. And to celebrate with our weekly act of debauchery, I have offered our lovely sales assistant, Danielle Harrison here, $10,000 to shave a fucking ass! Of course, you aren't laughing at that stuff. You're laughing at these, like, other things that they say, these, like, funny little um, one-liners. And then that happens, and you're like, wait, what? This is horrible. And it, and so it, now, again, this is a conversation of, like, uh, about money. We're going to get there. Um, but just hear me out, I guess. So, all right, here's the deal. You ain't got no staff, no time, and certainly no budget to make creating compelling content for social media in any way a priority. So what do you do as a Catholic parish? Probably what most parishes do. And you just copy and paste things straight from your bulletin page onto your Facebook page. Man, that ain't no way to live. And yet, all the millennials, Gen Xers, and even grumpy, fussy baby boomers are online like 24-7, which means your church can be online like 24-7. And they don't just want you to have a presence online. They want it to be good, like like really, really good. That's why CatholicSocial.media exists. You subscribe to them, and they hook you up with daily social media posts that you can personalize for your parish without their, like, logo all over the stuff. You know, like when you illegally pull stuff from Google Image Search, and it has other people's logos all over everything? Not that I've ever done that. I am as pure as the morning dew. CatholicSocial.media is a Catholic company with Catholic artists, designers, writers, and videographers coming up with the very best stuff for your parish. And you can look like a genius and save time and money. Head on over right now to try.catholicsocial.media. Apparently, the design nerds over there are big fans of Catching Foxes, and they created a free trial with a discount code FOXES for you just to try out their stuff and see if it's a good fit for your parish. That's a free trial with the promo code FOXES over at try.catholicsocial.media. Special thanks to catholicsocial.media for sponsoring this show. Then I watched the Lou Perlman story this is this is on on YouTube called the Boy Band Con. Have you heard of this? No. It takes the story of Lou Pearlman, who was the guy who started the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. He's this kind of like fat old dude, and it basically tells his story. And he ends up he died last year, was in jail for about ten years. And I'm going to spoil the whole thing. So if you Want to watch that, or has been on, it's been on your list? Maybe skip ahead about a minute. Um, basically, in sync and the Backstreet Boys when they first began were part of a Ponzi scheme they didn't even know about. Like they were the pro. Like so, basically, what this guy this guy created this huge crazy empire on like fake companies and. One of the and people would invest, and he would then take that money to pay out the other, you know, other investors. That's how a Ponzi scheme works. And then he got so big in that that he was able to start these boy bands, <laughs> and people would invest in stuff he was doing because they go, "Oh, it's a guy who started in sync. This must be a good investment." And when in sync and all those guys were like, thought that like a like wait like what's going on? Do you um, like you want to realize that back in like so October of like ninety nine was the first time they ever really got paid by him? Think back to how big those bands were. Yeah. Back then, wow, they were only paid ten thousand dollars each. What? Yeah, 
So we're talking this is NSYNC before Bye Bye Bye, Backstreet Boys before I won it that way. But like, so their first initial like album or two, they were only paid $10,000. <laughs> uh. Now he paid for everything else for them. So that's a, kind of a part of it. But for a much, as much money as they were pulling in, he was keeping like um ninety percent at least of all of it because he was using it for this you know Ponzi scheme, and he defrauded older people who were trying to invest. I mean he defraud. I mean so this dude ended up he basically he created this like he was like Ponzi scheme worth five hundred million dollars. Wow! About how many other people this thing that he did affected? One of the FBI agents I did a lot of work with, he looked like he had a bank fraud case involving Lou Pearlman. Webs upon webs of robbery. Every parent is protective of their child, and I was so angry. It was all truly criminal. He would use his power and influence to try to manipulate young performers. It's not for me to decide, man. He terrorized me. If Lou didn't feel bad, then he's a monster. Lou gave us all the ability to have life. This dude screwed over. I mean, it was so big that the Backstreet Boys were like a part of it. As in people thought they were investing in the Backstreet, in in a um, company that was putting money into the Backstreet Boys, and it's all a Ponzi scheme. It began with he said he created his own airline, and they would, like, give money to to, to invest in that. And what he did was he held up – he, like, held up his, like, model airplanes – and he would t- he would like hold it by the back, take a picture with and like with the other hand, and he would have the frame of the picture wouldn't be on his hand, so you would just see this on the model plane. Which back in the day, like back in like the eighties and stuff, early nineties, you could uh, take a picture and it would look like a real plane. <laughs> so people would think he owned it. He owned an airline, but he never actually did. Holy shit. Yeah, and so his Ponzi scheme, so, like, it's crazy when you, like, and it was like, one thing that just, like, really um, hit me while, you know, I was watching was you saw the humanity of the people in these boy bands. It's just like, oh, these were just kids. These, these were literally just kids who got caught. I mean, they were devastated because they thought this dude, like, they had um, known for, like, you know, and, like, a lot of these guys may have, they didn't have, like, um, good dads or anything. So he was, like, their father figure. And then all of a sudden, they get like a ten thousand dollar. They they get paid, and they're making um, less than if they'd worked at Starbucks. Especially if you count all the hours that they had put in that. You know, like uh, uh, like they they basically went two and a half years straight without stopping once. Wow. And um, so think of like how much. I'm like if you, you know, like per hour they lost money. Basically, you could probably argue. And so. Um, and so, okay, why am I bringing up all of this stuff? Is when I look at the young adults and I think of like, why don't people give? And I saw these films of what people do to try, to try, to, to try to make money. I thought of this interesting quote from uh, this is from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth in his Jesus of Nazareth. It now becomes perfectly clear that the prophet is not the Israelite version of the soothsayer, as was widely held at the time, 
and as many so-called prophets considered themselves. On the contrary, the prophet is something quite different. His task is not to report on the events of tomorrow or the next day in order to satisfy human curiosity or the human need for security. He shows us the face of God, and in so doing, he shows us the path that we have to take. The future of which he speaks reaches far beyond what people seek from soothsayers. He points out the path to the true exodus, which consists in this. Among all the paths of history, the path to God is the true direction that we must seek and find. Prophecy in this sense is a strict corollary to Israel's monotheism. It is the translation of this faith into the everyday life of a community before God and on the way to him. That quote really has like stuck with me. That quote, that is a freaking paragraph, has stuck with me since about 2015 or I'm 16 when I first came came across to this idea of the um, the prophets of old were trying to preach, were trying to preach security. But when you look at the Christian prophets, when you look at the Jewish prophets, Israel, they're not preaching any type of security. They're preaching, especially like we have encountered the face of God and now we know how to live. It happens with Moses. It happens with Jesus. When you look at things like the, like, the Wolf of Wall Street, there's that one scene where he says, I've been poor, I've been rich, I choose to be rich every time. Picking security over the, like this way of life that we're, we're called to live because like we now know how to live because we've encountered the, the face of the Lord. Why don't so many of these like millennials give? I think it's because they don't know how to live. And they're still stuck in this like fear thing of I don't ha- I don't really have enough money yet. It's driven out of fear. I don't know what to do. I have to have all these things. I'm, I have to you know um, I don't you know, like I I I'm a work for the church. I can't afford to do that. I've I've got to pay off all my I have to pay off all you know like all my loans first. I've got to do all these other. I have to have these other stuff here first before I can do that because really that's what's more important to me is having these things here. And we're not any different than. Like like Leo and of course we're different a little bit, but like really, how different are we though from his character in the in the Wolf of um, Wall Street or from this guy like Lou Pearlman, people who did horrible, despicable things to get money, and we're just trying to hold on. To, like I feel like so many of us are just trying to hold on to what we have because we want that security that uh, that it provides us. And I, that is that is my word vomit. I'm gonna turn it over to you. <laughs> right when Jesus talks about sowing the seed, you know, of the gospel, he says, "As for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word. So you hear it, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches choke the word, and it proves unfree- unfruitful." Over and over again, you hear in the New Testament, especially from Saint Paul, who lived it constant warnings that money equals distortion, right? Money equals numbness. Money equals temptation. In fact, if you were to take just the New Testament alone and lay out all the passages that concern wealth and poverty, you would, and and what the Lord thinks of it, you would think that if you were rich, you are probably going, you are more than likely 
going to be separated from God for all eternity. Right? As for the rich of this world, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God who richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, liberal and generous. Um, but over and over again, what happens, you know, in Second Tim- Timothy, he says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And First Timothy says uh, that the love of money is the root of all the e- root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. And I think about that in light of the whole fire thing that I'm trying to do with my finances, which is to be financially independent. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. And when you start to look at these things, there's literally a guy who has a blog out there called Root of Good. But he just heard, I just, you know, the love of, it says that money is the root of all evil, but I think it's the root of good. And that's like his approach. And the funny thing is, like, you even hear this with Dave Ramsey. I've always had this love affair with Dave Ramsey because it's like so common sense. And it's so, uh, in a lot of ways, it's biblically driven. Like, get your shit together with your money. Get your, you know, be disciplined. Like, but the problem with that is uh, exactly what St. Paul talks about, exactly what Christ talks about is that we can tend to put our trust in riches. And that is a constant turnoff that I have with, that has, that has always pushed me away from uh, conservatism and libertarian. Like when I'm at my most libertarian, I'm like, yeah, I see the understanding of agency and freedom and independence and all that stuff. But the and and anti-war, but the thing that always pulls me back or pushes me away from it is like sometimes when I hang around libertarians for a long period of time, it seems to me that all they really do is care about money. They're anarchists because the government's going to take their taxes and and that's it. And I don't like any of this stuff, right? And I do find a constant interaction with money how quickly it can become this is the danger how quickly it can become the main thing when here's the thing about the wolf of um, wall street that i found so interesting when and i didn't really watch it i want to i want to make this clear i'm not recommending that you watch this film i think it's too much it is um i do think it's worth watching if okay i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to get into that you're you are an adult i'm gonna make your own decision but um <laughs> what i'm saying after i heard that podcast i did watch like certain parts of it and that part of where he says if you're poor if you're scared pick up the phone i have to be honest that really inspired me it inspired me to want to go to work and call all the donors that i need to call to arrange all of those meetings that i haven't arranged yet like to you know because I, and I'm in the good part of sale. And like, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that if like you're in sales, you're bad. I'm right. saying, you know, I'm like, I'm, uh, I am, I'm raising money for a really good cause. It's an easy sell. It's great. I love doing it. And it, and I was like, why, like, why am I inspired by this? And I think that's kind of the point of, of, you know, of the film is that like, we can all identify with this, but I'm look at where they I'm took it. Like be the warrant, you know, kind of a thing like by by the grace of god we're not you know because 
there's this shot at the end where the cop who is like investigating him, who brought him down where he was in jail for about two years, he's on the bus by himself. And that's one of the things like that, like the main character called him out for was like, you're going to unride the bus with all those people. We're like, I'm going to drive a Porsche home. Yeah. And it's just, you see him. And it's this idea of kind of like, you know, not having money does kind of suck. And so it's just like, but then that fear or that like that inspiration I feel when I watch certain parts of this film, which like horrifies me that I'm, you know, I'm not inspired to do bad things, but just again, like to pick up the phone and call people that's like that fear of like of what if I don't have money? Yeah. And I read this line here where it says it is the translation of this faith into into um, everyday life of a community before God and on the way to him. Leo's character in, in that film, Jordan Belfast, I, I think is, is his name or something like that. He's the false prophet. He brings all these people, you know, hundreds of people go to him um, to go and like work for him. Probably have like thousands of people that they, you know, um, that they duped money out of all because of security and wanting to be rich because they choose being rich every day. Like every time. And how often do I choose that having things that make me feel safe as opposed to being in, you know, a community together on the way to like see the Lord or on the path to like see God. The, uh, the path that involves, you know, death and dying to self and all the ugliness that goes along with that. Everything about the passion that. Uh, we all experience in our own lives and in our, you know, like own ways again and again and again and again and again. How often do I reject those things for the promises of like a Jordan Belfast of just, if I just do this, I'm going to be happy. Do it all the, like, like there are times when I wonder, and I, I, like, I love the fire stuff. I'm all like, I'm not, I actually was really inspired by it. It's really changed how I am thinking about certain things, but I always think about it in terms of what it's going to do for Aaron and I first. And then I think about what we can do with it to help others second yeah, or third or fourth. I mean, it's there. It's always there wanting to help others, but it's always like the fourth or fifth on the list. And when I look at, like, you got to hand it to boomers, they give. They give a lot because they feel like they have to. And we don't. It's repulsive that there are people who listen to this podcast who didn't give money on giving on, on the giving Tuesday. I'm disgusted that all I gave out was, a, was $100 to just like, like a um, couple of groups. And you gave sixty nine dollars to the prison. <laughs> <curriculum>. I sure did. <laughs> you know, but like it, I think every. I just I like when I hear that stuff, like when I watch um, those movies, and I think about that um, that like um, passage here that Benedict is talking about. None of that fits together. Every single time, the stuff about, you know, uh, about the money is always about security. I think sometimes I just, um, like, I, like, I think we're doing the same thing where we just want a security. We want uh, the soothsayer. Like, is Dave Ramsey that? Do we really want to get out of debt because of what it's going to do for us? 
or do we want to get out of debt because it's the just thing to do to pay back what you borrowed? You know what I mean? Like, like, what, like, like, like what's the better thing here? Or so that we can then give to others. How much is enough? So let me, let me walk you through an exercise of my own shame and stupidity. When I was, um, when I was a little kid and my, you know, everyone has this, but my mind would always race when I would go to bed and I couldn't go to sleep for hours. One of the things I used to do when I got older and I was a poor youth minister is I used to fantasize about what I would do if I won the lottery. Do you ever do that? Oh yeah. Yep. Right. And, and then like, there's the times where you're just like, I would buy the most amazing car. I would do this. I would help my family out, blah, blah, blah. And there are the times where you get like the Christian guilt trip where you're like, well, I would give money to, you know, you do the, you like oscillate back and forth. Okay. This is a true story. So I would do that every so often in order to try to get my brain to be like, all right, stop. You don't want to look at a screen right now and look at your Kindle app. Like, what would I do, honestly, if I won, you know, $120 million Powerball? And I would do this. And the funny thing was, when I started doing fire, I would say, like, in my head, it would be, well, what if you won? Like, I, this is true. My desire to win the $120 million Powerball immediately died. And I was like, what if I had $50,000? Because with fire, it's all about like, okay, what's your number and are you working towards that number and are you living a simple enough life that you've got your, your – you're not indulging, right? You're not frivolous, and, but at the same time, you're, so you're frugally living and you're being content with what you have. So that's the thing that I love about for many people in fire. It's like some people do the – hyper minimalist thing and i'm not i'm not about that if you have kids i don't know how you can be but the idea of like i need to prune my life and it began to reveal to me excesses that were a part of my life that were there because of its default nature um but then it became something like we don't even think about it which changes your spending habits your buying habits your eating habits how you cook the family time you spend together sitting around the table eating a meal that takes longer than 5 seconds to wolf down like all of that stuff and it literally it changes things me and my wife have conversations about money without yelling at each other because we have a plan but okay i'm not i'm not saying that that's bad i think that that's good but my concern sometimes with the fire stuff, and I am definitely, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm yeah, going to yeah, yeah. do a little bit of I'm devil's advocate here. And I, I don't want to make this about fire. So I want to try to right. keep me, it a little either, bit of a higher. Yeah. But because uh, we've done that. Um, it's still putting me in mind first. And I, when I read that passage from Ratzinger, there's nothing about that in there. There's nothing. It's not necessarily what he is know, talking about. He's, he's, he's not talking about like money, but he is saying reject security and embrace community and relationships and like the path to God. Right. And when you look at that, there's nothing about take care of me and mine and then take care of others. Going back to how I think about money and how I think about the other – whether that's outside of my family, I, I, let me just say two things. Number one, it is in accord with right reason to take, take care of your family. Absolutely. Like you are not allowed 
to not take care of your family. Mm-hmm. Of course. In fact, St. Paul, St. Paul is very clear on that. Like, if you if you don't take care of those in your own household, it's like it was excommunicable, right? Excommunicatable in the New Testament times, the Apostolic Church. Like, if you're a man and you're not even trying to work and you're living, because at the time people would sell their homes and live in Christian community. It got so bad in the city of Thessalonica that St. Paul said, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. We're not going to feed you. If you're not going to work in the Christian community, because people were just like, well, damn, you got this big pool of money and it buys us all bread and you distribute bread. What do I need to work for? Um, and so that, that's a very real thing. But then the New Testament does something tricky. The New Testament then says essentially that all those who are Christians are in my family. So we have to take care of the needs of those who are our neighbors in the faith. After, you know, alongside our own families. Like, we can't just draw up this line and say, well, listen, I can't serve you now, and I know you're desperate in your need, but I can't serve you because I'm trying to hit my 401k goal right now. Right? And, and that's the thing that is difficult so overwhelmingly in a culture that is defined by excess is when do me and mine become my responsibility versus when does it become my shield to be selfish, right? Like I'm, I'm, oh, no, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this stuff. It's, it's not immoral to set aside savings, set aside money for retirement. Mm -hmm. Of course, absolutely. And I think, but I think there is this tendency within Christian zeal to be like, no, you're not relying on the Lord. You're relying on Mammon and, you know, all this stuff. And I think the I, – I don't think that's what the Bible said because I do acknowledge that Dave Ramsey, you know, in the House of the Wise are stores of choice grain and all that stuff. But the idea is in the House of the Wise that might – but in the House of the Saved, they aren't living for those stores. And when you have those stores, it becomes very easy to hide it. And what's his name? Uh, Andy Stanley talked about he met in Atlanta. He's probably someone with the Koch family, I think. Um, but he met someone who was whose net worth was over a billion dollars. And he said him and his wife were driving home. And they were so appalled at these people because they, they were terrified of losing their money. So they wrote a check for like $50,000 to some organization. They're like, we can't give more. And they're like, well, hasn't this organization blessed you? And I don't even think it was to his own church or something. But they were like, yeah, well, you know, these are uncertain times. And so we don't want to be, we don't want to give away too much. They're like, you're billion with a B. <laughs> like, you're going to be fine if you give away 90% of your money. <laughs> like, you'll be fine. But that's what it does to you, right? That's what it does to you. And, yeah, you go. Well, and I think like and this is I think you hit on a really good point there that it's good to save for retirement. It's good to save. It's good to it's, it's good to do those things to uh, take care of your family. But there's so much. Like, what do we mean by that? Yeah, you know. And I think for a lot of people, it means the ability. Um, like, what scares? Okay, from what what scares me is that in my mind to myself. That means I have to have enough to do the excessive things that I want to do, and then I can give away. I can give everything away after that, you know. So like we bought like a kind of a nice car, and there's these things where I'm like, "This is great. This is so much better than all the crappy cars I've ever had." Besides my um, 99 Pontiac, which was a wonderful goddess. 
Um, love that car so much. You literally called it a goddess. This is idolatry, folks. Throw him into the Tiber. Um, off with his head. Hello, my friends. It is Luke, and I'm here to talk to you today about daily Catholic wisdom. Go to catholicwisdom.org slash catchingfoxes and subscribe for short daily reflections from big, holy Catholic brains. Literary giants, beloved saints, and relevant voices from today share faith stuff you'll love. So you can reflect on the quote that you get from the people over at Daily Catholic Wisdom. Here are like two sample quotes. In prayer, do not do all the talking. If you went to a doctor's office, you would not rattle off the symptoms and then rush out. You learn to speak by um, by listening, did you not? So you're not constantly to be yapping in prayer. Sacred scripture says, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. That's from Unvenerable, not a saint yet, Fulton Sheen. And here is another one from my boy, St. John Paul II. St. Pope John Paul II, that is. We must never forget that only when love between human beings is put to the test can its true value be seen. Oh, that is good. Plus, over at Daily Catholic Wisdom, you'll get exclusive discounts on popular Catholic books, talks, video content, and more. When you subscribe, you get the free of the digital access to Knowing the Love of God by Father... Oh, crap. Uh, but I'll do my best to pronounce this. By Father Reginald... Garigal Larange. Uh, I tried. Father Reginald Garigou Lagrange. Uh, so to get some of these awesome quotes, head over to catholicwisdom.org slash catching foxes. Again, that is catholicwisdom.org slash catching foxes. Thank you to Daily Catholic Wisdom for sponsoring today's episode of Catching Foxes. But my point, though, being like when... Um, do we need to have a harder conversation with each other as to what are the things I really need? And as, and like what, so, and by that, I mean, not what do I have to take care of, uh, first, but like, here's the stuff that I, you know, like have to do. And then here's the stuff that I need to, um, like, it's not about put, um, gosh, I had a point and then I lost it. I'm sorry. When we put um, so that perhaps it's not so much about this is the stuff I have to do first. It's just it's just more like like uh, these are the funds that I have to use to like uh, take care of my family, the people that I have been. I it's my responsibility to take care of like these people. It's it is like also my um, my responsibility to take care of these other of these other individuals here and that has to come before anything else so before you know i have netflix before i have starbucks before i have all this all these extra because it's not i don't think what scares off millennials for the most part is it's not the 401k and be able to put towards that i i think that is kind of there a bit but it's i think it's i like no one even gives ten dollars. Like most people don't give anything. Like how is it that a group of you know hundreds of like young adults who's who have experienced all of these great things from this one tiny ministry, thirty five gave. I'm sorry. Like I think it was like twenty twenty five of that group gave. How is that possible? Are you telling me that everyone else there? 
was so strapped for cash that they could not even afford $5. So what are we putting ahead of each other? Yeah. Like it's I don't think it's I don't think it's you know it's not the 401k. Yeah. It's not um paying off it's not it's not paying off almost it's not paying off loans. It's like the third beer of the night. It's the extra cocktail. It's going to the movies you know, at night as opposed to during a matinee it's, or just maybe not going for like, you know, it's all these little itty bitty things that turn us into like this, like Lou guy who then screws over everyone else. I don't think he started his life wanting to run a half a billion dollar Ponzi scheme. I don't know. I'm looking at his mugshot. He probably does, though. It did. He's, I know. It is. I know, but I think he's someone who wanted to. He was a little chubby his whole life. <laughs> his his nickname was Big Papa. <laughs> yeah. He's not. Uh, he's just a poor person. Like, it, um, it. It's these little things that just start to add up, like over and over, and it, it's not good. It's really like it, and it. Um, it concerns me that we're a lot more like Jordan Belfast or this dude's name from the Wolf of Wall Street than we are like what the Pope is calling us to. God bless you. Oh, with friends like you, he has. Um, so one of the things in preparing for this is uh, one of my favorite angry, awesome, amazing, smiley, crazy Baptist preachers that I love is John Piper. And he has one on five things that he hates about the prosperity gospel and how it leaves you poor. And my first one was, uh, I I loved it. He said, first, uh, riches, putting your trust in riches, it deflects attention onto God's gifts as the main source of our happiness rather than God himself. It obscures texts like, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, Psalm 73, or texts like, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16, or I count everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it is so, uh, it is so easy when you start to see the power of things like compound interest and tax deferred accounts and all of this stuff to get your mm-hmm. financial house in order. It is so easy to then become lovers of wealth. It is so easy to have that. And so St. Paul, so going back to your, like, how do I put this stuff in order? He says, uh, there's great gain in godliness with contentment for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all evils. And so you start to see that and you realize that the desire to be rich, why do we have a desire to be rich? And there's an element of like the Wolf of Wall Street thing that, you know, Dave Ramsey has his gazelle-like intensity. Like if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, you're being destroyed by our economy's worst villains credit cards, you know, all that stuff, predatory lending, blah, blah, blah. You're being destroyed by them. And to you have to have an intensity to get out of that. And so I think things like the Wolf of Wall Street where he's like, use the fact that you're in credit card debt. Motivate, like, let the fact that I have this horrible thing in my life become, horrible financial thing, be 
an incentive to conquer my fears and pick up the phone and make the phone call. But what he's trying to say, though, is let riches be the thing that will be your hope. And that's first and foremost. Like, that's what he's doing in the, uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the movie quote. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. <laughs> and it's, it's powerful. It's, it's almost like that one uh, Glenn, Glenn Mary, what is it called? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where Alec Baldwin has that famous speech. Oh, uh, always always be, closing. be Closing. Yeah, ABC. Yeah. And he's like, you see this? That, see that coffee? That's not for you. That's for closers. Right, and it it is, it does incite in one a zeal for for acquiring, but I think there's an element deep down that it is hitting our our distorted nature, and it's like I want to go out and conquer, I want to go out and achieve, I want to go out and earn, but it's also like because I want it to be about me. Well, and I think it's what I've done for the bulk of my life. Of being very honest, is I have ignored this struggle. I used to basically give on Sunday what I had left over my wallet from Saturday night. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that is what I would give. And my, and my excuse was I'm not making a lot of money. I'm working at a on Catholic school. I have a lot of, I have a lot of debt. Um, I'm, you know, all like blah, 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 blah. And I'll give when, like when I hit a point where I don't have a lot of those things, when I'm in a better spot, then I will give. And I'll give what I can right now. But if I don't um, go out, if I don't do these other things, I'm going to go crazy. And there's a little bit of truth to that. I need community. I need the ability to be around people. I think it's good to go to bars and have fun. I'm not saying that that's bad. But when I put that ahead of my brother or ahead of my sister, that's where that was bad. Yeah. You know, when they weren't, when that was a priority above them, like that's where that goes bad. And I what I see with a lot of millennials is they don't want to enter into that. Cause there's this fear of like, I don't really know on what I can do. I don't know I don't know how to reconcile this. So I'm just gonna kinda ignore it. Yeah. And once I'm my parents' age and I'm a bit set and like and like stuff like stuff is better, then I'll start to give. Yeah. You know, it's when I can give a like I'll be honest. Working, working at a, working at a, um, working at a, um, a nonprofit. Like the, the honestly, the um, um, the difference between like a ten dollar gift and a uh, ten thousand dollar gift is just a bunch of zeros. And they both do the same thing, which is impact lives. I can tell you exactly what ten dollars does for the group that I work for. I can tell you what you know. Uh, ten thousand dollars will do but if i have to put it in you know like um and you know just on the one sentence it's changed lives it's be there for people who don't have any one else that's and it's the same thing it does the same thing it's just as important they i need it we we need those ten dollar um donations just as much as we need the ten thousand dollar ones yeah it's it's like one's not um it's just a zero the, and there's healing, and like when you give, there, there is healing there, and when you don't give, you just turn, you just turn inwards, and that destroys. You know, it's probably very tiny, small, almost like almost like micro, almost like microscopic ways, but you do it day after day after day, 
almost week after week after week over and 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 over again, and then you're five years into really not giving all that much. How closed off are you to the church? How much stuff, how much of ministry in the church hasn't happened because you haven't um, because you haven't given? How many youth ministers have had to quit because they can't they can't um, make enough money to like feed their kids? Yeah. How many priests have gotten burnt out because they can't afford to hire more help? How like and we bitch about all this stuff that um goes on in the church, yet we're not giving of ourselves in a way that we should. And you can't tell me that it's not a problem. Like I've seen I have like seen these numbers. Guys, the like nonprofit industry, especially in the like whole religious part of it, is panicking because you all don't give. Because we're the first group ever to not prioritize faith, faith-based giving, and the ones that are there don't give, and people are scared shitless because of that across the board. It is a major problem, and we are like just complaining about so much. Like, like I would if it's, if if it's a choice between us. And your parish, your parish wins every time, except for, let's see, which month do I get paid the least? No, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, we're glad, like, I really love the people choose to choose to give to us. It, it truly does help us keep this, you know, pot, keep this podcast um, going. But it, it's not like a chair. I guess our, I don't think we're like a charity cause. We're just a thing that you like, that you want to see, whether you want to, like, I'm going to see more of. If people didn't give, we'd probably still, like, we would still do this. It just wouldn't be as frequent. Yeah, and so, okay. Did I just talk us out of money? <laughs> and I, no. No, I hope not. Um, <laughs> no, me too. No, but the, Christmas so, is expensive, right? But you know, one of the things you said is like, when do I know that I'm not providing? You know what I should, and then and I'm just being self indulgent, right? Like, and I'm not putting my neighbor first. I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about when it comes to wealth, you should have a little bit less than makes you comfortable, so that you're always you never get comfortable with riches. Uh, and it's very true. I mean, the Pharisees, Jesus says, and Jesus says that they're lovers of money. And right after he said, you can't serve God and mammon, Pharisees who are a lover of money, and they made fun of him for saying that. And he's like, God knows your hearts. You're an abomination. Ew. But with that, so there's a bunch of parts where we're called to be content. Um, we're lay people. We're not called to live in poverty, but we are called to live simply. But living simply does not mean minimalism. And one of our Patreon supporters wrote us a question asking, what do you think of like a Christian minimalism, right? And I thought that was a great question because when I think of minimalism, I think of it in terms of like like uh, consumerism, right? Like not owning tons of stuff and blah, blah, blah. She said uh, – Elena said, I'd like to hear you two discuss a continued call of living poverty while in the midst of the holiday season. Also, there's a difference between – is there a difference between living poverty and living modestly? Also, can you talk about the minimalism fad happening? Is it inherently Christian? I would say that it is not inherently Christian. Uh, there are elements of it that call us to simplicity, but minimalism is a fad. It is a way of looking at stuff that says, you know, a, a decluttered office is a decluttered mind. 
you know, I want everything. Well, number one, it's also tied to style, like big, broad, open, light-colored furniture, broad, flat spaces and all that stuff, glass countertops and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's an element that's inherently fad and fashion-oriented about it. But the other thing is, um, I think what is getting lost, right? Remember that whole spark joy Marie Kondo? So it's Mm -hmm. like, unless it's useful or beautiful, get rid of it. There's a danger in that it reduces the things around me to, again, to my own will and myself and how I feel. So now my feelings are projected upon the furniture in my house. And Mm -hmm. the funny thing is we – I never thought about this. I'm an Ikea guy. I got cheap Ikea furniture all over the place. But, uh, you know, one of the things I don't have except for one piece of furniture is anything from my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. There is nothing in my home that connects me to the past except for one piece of furniture. And when I realized that, I was reading this article, and it's like, this is a part of our postmodern bullshit rootlessness. Like, I have no connection to the past. And then he says, look at, like, the trend with uh, this article I was reading. Look at the trend with tiny homes. It's not a tiny home. It's a tiny house. Like, when I, because I love watching all that stuff. And there's a tiny home manufacturer right on the other side of the highway from me. And we, the thing they always say is like, oh, we wanted a big porch, so, you know, for entertaining. And it's like, you live in a glorified college dorm room slash kitchenette. And you do it because of, of debt and all this stuff and the extreme cost of living and mortgage and all this stuff. But here's the problem. There's no place to turn that into a home, nor is it, nor are you capable of receiving people into your home. So there's no hospitality. So it's all about, like I used to joke, I don't know, about 80 episodes ago about getting those vans and turning them into a house. <laughs> yeah, you were obsessed with I was, that. I watched dozens <laughs> so of videos. Much. That's really where I realized that my obsessions were pathological when you kept making fun of me. Like, here's another Gormley YouTube fan. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. But, but think about that. There's... I bought a machine to cut wood now. This is a... <laughs> <laughs> it's a skill. I'm doing something in the world, Luke. Um the world is different because of my table saw. I almost lost a finger again. Um, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're gonna hurt yourself, aren't you? <laughs> well, I wasn't circumcised, but I am now. Uh, no, but um, but that like think about the van as a home. That is the single that that is the antithesis to family values. Right? Like, who can live in there? Well, two people at the most. Shack up, travel around the country, don't put down roots. My job is a laptop and a Wi-Fi connection. uh, And I'll piggyback and tether on my cell phone when I need to. Uh, You know, all of these things, this is how, like, I'm rootless. I'm connected to no one. I don't need anyone except the wind and the waves or the, the lake or the mountain or whatever it is that I'm in my van. And my wife said, oh, wow, not a lot of room for, you know kids and stuff in there what are you saying and i was like no no no! i don't want to leave i don't want to leave you Um, i just want to give me i just want like micro doses of feeling what it'd be like to be on my own (laughs) totally different it's so weird they don't have an xbox in the van um but (laughs) the idea (laughs) but like the same is true about tiny homes and so this guy was writing the story and he said uh that he went over to someone's house who is not a minimalist and uh, and I swear, 
reading this one stupid article made me rethink my anti-China stance. And I don't mean the country. I mean the dishes. Like, no one does China anymore. Like, that's one of the things about millennials. Like, why the hell do I want to display fancy breakable dishes? Like, screw that. Give me, you know, my eight-place setting for, you know, that I can use forever. And so the the article, he says, you know, the after a beautiful meal, you know, it's 12 of us, place settings for everyone. The host served us coffee. And they serve coffee with a, you know, a cup and a saucer and a little coffee, a spoon that exists to stir the coffee with milk, right? And he said, I like my coffee black, but I'm looking at this little spoon and I'm like, I want to use this sucker. I'm going to get milk in my coffee just so I can stir it up. And it was funny because there's elements of home and rootedness that minimalism can't give you. And so I think we create narratives. We say, no, this is Christian Mm. simplicity. Well, it is Christian simplicity if you compare it to just consuming like everyone else. Right, so if I buy my cheap shit, plasticky crap from China, that will literally break. A kid's toy will literally break within twelve months, as opposed to a wooden toy my great grandparents and grandparents grew up with. That will that uh, you know if I chip it or dent it, I can sand it out, or Dad can repair it, or we can slide another metal thing with a screw, and or we can make another wood thing with my sweet table saw that doesn't cut off my fingers. We can do these things. Yeah, there please was use this- that table saw instead. <laughs> I need your precious fingers for the for the clickety clackety. <laughs> Patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> keep my I fingers. Think- Donate today. Um, <laughs> that should be the two dollar level. Keep Gomer's fingers. Keep Gomer's fingers. <laughs> oh yes. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's these elements where I, like they do become hyper fadistic or or fetishistic, and I'm definitely like a part. Like I love the look of a clean room. I love, but that's also, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. That's also a part of our social media culture, where a, a decluttered table looks great on Instagram and Pinterest. And I think too, and and if if we record video, Luke, like um, you know, I had the camera set up today, and you asked me to turn it off so respectfully that, uh, but I kept moving it around. Do you notice how much I was moving it around? Mm-hmm. It was because I was obsessed with how the background looked, and it, it was so cluttered that it looked I ugly. L- l- but I have literally slept in that room a thousand times, <laughs> and by like a thousand, I mean like I mean five. Yeah, five, three. Like well, it's so, you know, so kind of c- combining those two things, like yeah. this um, conversation about the uh, all, like, all of the minimalism and then just the overall conversation about money, it, I, I wonder if it really comes down to, because, like, what is the way about? The way's about being for the other. Truly, like, for the good of 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 the other. Which, if we're doing our like money that way, means we're going to be for our families, we're going to be for our parish, we're going to be for our community, we're going to be for all of these things that are outside of us in ways that are good. So we're not going to now. You, it's better to enter into this and to screw it up and to not do anything at all. Yeah, which I think is one of my other points of this is I think it's much better to ch- at least try to give something than to not do anything. It's, you know, uh, that's actually being, that's what I think being lukewarm is. It's not doing anything at all. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> my name's Luke. Um, and so when we're for others in ways that are good, holy, and loving, um, 
we can't help but like give to our families and take care of them in you know the right way and put others first and it's because i don't think it's necessarily bad to want to do fun things like i think it's one of the things like judas uh you know, one reasons why he was angry at at uh, Christ was how they didn't always use the money in the way that he. I may be confusing this with Jesus Christ superstar. But no, 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 no. <laughs> so the the prostitute breaks open the expensive nard. And yeah, pours yeah, it yeah, on yeah, Christ, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. said, "Lord, this should have been sold in the marketplace for three hundred days' wages and the money given to the poor." And then the caveat is, for Judas kept the purse and would often steal money from himself. <laughs> mm, yeah and i just uh um like i don't think it's necessarily bad to want to do good things you know or to want to do nice things or t- i think it's important to go to plays to go, you know to do like to, to experience beauty to um but it's when it's more about consumption than reception or more about me than being for the other like that's where you need to start to try to like check ourselves a little bit. And it, yeah, the, it's I, not easy. There's not easy. There's no easy way to do this besides just doing it and trying and screwing up and talking about it. Yeah. And fasting from things that are your, like if you're talking about living a living with contentment, right? You got food, you got shelter, you're good to go live with contentment. Don't constantly be. So like, we know that keeping up with the Joneses will kill your soul, but how do we do that? In a million different ways. I think that um, I think that we don't pay attention to that enough in our church today. Like how easy it is to try to keep up with the Joneses. Because when we're comparing ourselves to people who are better off or at least appear to be better off than us, then what ends up happening is uh, it stokes our jealousy, stokes our pride. We're embarrassed at being diminished in the eyes of others. So, for instance... Um, one of the one of the guys when he was talking about talking to rich people and, and warning them, he said, so often he says, I have no problem with you making money and getting wealthy in your business. But the very next thing that comes with it is the assertion that I have to look the part as well. So now it's comments like uh, one of our friend's dad, who's very wealthy, said, uh, my ass doesn't touch anything that's not sixty thousand dollars or more referring to his car. And he just, you know, his son, who's a friend of ours, just rolled his eyes and was like, oh, my gosh, how arrogant. But he's not a bad person. And yet, the, the money is always intoxicating. Money is always intoxicating. So if you are looking at your habits. So, okay, let's take exactly what you said. It's a good thing to go out with people. It's a good thing to, you know, share times with them. As a Christian, there's a difference between socializing and fellowship. So then my thing is, how are we, are we prioritizing the experiences of going to a bar and drinking just enough, um, you know, watching the game, doing all that stuff? How I miss it. Right. Are we prioritizing those experiences or prioritizing the community that we gain in it? And those aren't always mutually exclusive, but I think the difference between them could actually ruin a bunch of stuff. Like... Like, I, I really want to go to a bar and drink, and I'm going to, like, with my friends, because I'm actually after an experience. I'm not after communion with my friend. And it doesn't have to be deep and meaningful and blah, blah, blah. Now, sometimes doing those things 
can be a shared community experience. Like Deacon Baldy's, I always joke, it's our church's satellite campus. Like so much happens there and they have park benches that you can sit, you feel close to. Um, it, it creates a community experience in my opinion. Um, but like when you have people over, like Christ says, don't invite those who can pay you back, invite those who can't. And that's your reward. Your reward is you're helping those who can't be paid back. And that's why like the first impulse of typically it's moms who do this for other moms. But when someone gives birth, there's immediately like, uh, or, or there's a, a big illness, there's a meal train that gets set up and people bring over meals, right? Like, what are you doing there? You're, you're not doing it to get paid back. You're doing it because you love that person. That's fellowship. That's solidarity. That's generosity. That's liberality. That's not, I'm here for the experience. You don't even get the experience. You just sacrifice. And I think one other problem is when we talk about generosity, we only talk about it in terms of money. And for many people, giving money is actually easier or the easiest form of giving when compared to giving of myself emotionally to other people, giving myself relationally to the homeless. But right. I don't think that trumps the other one, though. Right. I no, think people it, it will is, still try is, to do that stuff and not give. Yeah, it is, it is more than giving money, uh, but it certainly is giving money. Right, because with money, like there, there's this whole there's a book called Toxic Missions. Have you ever, did we ever talk about this? Where you have these foreign mission trips, and one guy left like two days early to go to this African school where the his youth group comes and paints, and he's like, I'll go a couple days early and survey everything and blah blah blah. And he watched all these kids rub rocks and dirt on the side of the school building, and he went up to him. And he's like, What are you doing? He's like, Well, our teacher told us that we had to damage the paint because Americans love to paint. And they just want to come here and paint stuff. And he's like, oh, my good Lord, what are we doing? And then when you go to all these, like, developing nations with our, you know, donations of clothing, we actually destroy local markets because now it, what are you going to get? The free clo- free clothes given away or, yeah, you know, and so throwing, like, or the last thing I'll say is many mission trips don't require people to go down. In fact, people going down damage the mission trips because it would be better if all those people gave that sum of money to local laborers in the market. You would radically alter an entire town if you did that, even even once. And so the people that we send down when we do our mission trip to Honduras, we send down people who are there to build infrastructure. Like we send down doctors and nurses and – like people, professionals, medical professionals that they would never get, right? So well, they and like, it, um, what's a thing that you couldn't possibly have? You know, like we can do here that that it's just exactly. You know. And I didn't know this when I was there. They had like a third. To, they had two classroom concrete buildings that were classrooms. One was first and second grade. The other one was third, fourth, and fifth grade all at the same time. Uh, since we have been going there, we have built all the way up to a ninth grade classroom on top of this mountain in four and a half years, five years. And you think, like, that'll change that entire world. Now, we don't staff it with teachers, but we've donated trucks purchased in the local market to locals, and we've given them to locals so that now they can get the sacraments 10, 12 times a year instead of two times a year, right? Like, that is a game changer. 
you know, doctors can go up the mountain now as the priests are driving them. And there's a religious order of nuns that now are committed to our mountain folk who are the most impoverished in all of Honduras. Like, we've literally changed their lives. We're not just going there and giving away free clothes, you know, like doing the things that everyone else can do. You know, we're trying to do those very things. And the other thing is we're investing in them as people. So we have people that sponsor them, that sponsor their kids. They they drive them to the medical care. They write to the kids. They write to the families. Like, it is giving of yourself emotionally, relationally, right, physically being with people as opposed to just you – know, that's the CFRs. Like, Benedict, Father Benedict Rochelle was like, I can't be a Franciscan anymore in the normal way of Franciscans because they got so good at serving the poor that they never actually come in contact with them. They just run nonprofits that do it. And so when he saw Mother Teresa, he said, when I create the CFRs, me and Father Andrew Apostoli, we will all, part of our mission will be we have to be in personal contact with the poor. And you see it in their order. And there ha- that has to be – it's like when we had Shane Claiborne, man. When you were yeah. talking with Shane Claiborne, like I think about that all the time. You were like, well, so there was this guy and he was obviously like on drugs and he like passed out and I gave him water. And, you know, and I think about that and he just said, but they're so lonely. Homeless people are so lonely. So when I go downtown, like when we did the, the interview for Me Without You and I went downtown, I went downtown 30 minutes early with some dollar bills in my pocket just so if I had a conversation with a homeless man, I could sit down and spend some time with him. And I did. I got about a seven-minute conversation in with a guy all because of that. And I think that that is a form of currency, a medium of exchange. But the sad thing is millennials aren't even doing that. Well, and the thing is, too, that when you give, especially uh, – and it can be – like, so people give money because, like, they enjoy it. There's – I'm about to sneeze here. Sorry. Yeah. Ugh, sorry, everyone. That's for that's good podcasting. Um, I'm trying to not sneeze as loud because according to Aaron and both my sisters, it is very obnoxious. Uh, there's something like, you know, we, like people give $10,000 because they get $20,000 worth of value out of it. And I think what that speaks to is like when you're actually f- – it's, it's crazy when you see people who are so just like I'm oh, self-absorbed. When they start to give to others how much healing they, yeah. ex- they experience. Now, I'm not saying that every issue we have, you're going to be healed by going to help others. But I'm <laughs> saying it goes, it goes a hell of a long way though. And I think if people just gave more, more of the money, if they gave more of their time. But I mean honestly, just start with money. Y- like it's healing yeah. when you're giving it away. It actually is healing because you're being you're like being what you should be, which is Christ to others, and you're seeing Christ in others, and you're being for others. And that's there's there is healing in that, and that's really important. Okay, so do you remember in the Wolf of Wall Street where you know, he's getting – I think it's like the first wave of maybe raids or something. It's, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. But um, he starts pointing at people and saying all the good deeds with his money that he did for them. Do you remember that? Like he points yeah, at the oh, woman yeah, 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 yeah. and she's, yep, he's yep. like, you know, I wrote you a check for $50,000. I got your kid into the private school. You know, I, you know, you're a single mother and I paid for all this stuff. Didn't I do that for you, you know? 
yeah. think in the end yeah. they were all like no interest loans, like people had to pay them back. But that's not the Kimmy that I met. The Kimmy that I met didn't have two nickels to rub together. She was a single mom on the balls of her ass with an eight-year-old son. Okay, she was three months behind on her rent. And when she came to me and asked me for a job, she asked for a $5,000 advance just, just so she could pay his son's tuition. What'd I do, Kimmy? Go on, tell me. You wrote me a check for $25,000. And you know why that is? It's because I believed in you. It's because I believed in you, Kimmy. Just like I believe in each and every one of you here today. Um, but that, like, there is a deceitfulness, though, that can happen with money, with giving. Right? And that is, I think that's what we have to avoid. Well, because it's not a real gift when you're not giving yourself behind the money. But yet, or if you expect anything. Yeah. Like if, if you give, like if you give because you want to be prestigious and like if you expect anything out of it other than, you know, kind of how, how like you said before, when you go and like talk with a homeless, the reward is like the fact that you talk to the homeless. Like yeah. – the when you give the reward is the gift and when you try to find your when you try to find the reward in other things it um, ceases to be a gift so it's it's a, so like within with you know with in the nonprofit world there's this kind of like uh, thing that some people will talk about where you know if you have a donor who's going to give you say a you know $100,000, but they're going to be on your case so much about this. And they're going to want to like be in, they're going to tell you how to, you know, spend that money. And they're going to going to just kind of be, I want this, I want that, I want that. Like, that's not a gift. Yeah. That's not a gift. That's a, uh, I want to be able to spend this money so I can tell you on what to do with it. Yeah. That's, I mean, a very thinly veiled form of control and manipulation. Yeah. yeah. Now, I would like also argue why are you trying to get a gift out of that person because that's not what this is about. It's about trying to find people to find things that they really want to do. Yeah. You know, so it's there, there, it is a little bit on the nonprofit to make sure they really understand what are the desires, what are the passions of this person so they can put their money to things that they care about so they feel like they don't have to do that because they trust you and they love what you're doing and they want to see more of it. Yeah, to, to cheapen it, they buy into the mission. They buy into what you're doing and they want yeah. to come alongside it. Like with the Catholic prison formation stuff that I did on GoFundMe um, – it was incredible seeing the messages that people would leave. Like most people just gave and you know, and I, I wrote every single person a personal thank you. Oh, and you did? Yeah. Yeah, didn't I write oh. you one? Nope. Yeah. It through the GoFundMe app. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> you might have thought it was a receipt because the GoFundMe app has all this bullshit like email routing information before you actually get to your message. It's so stupid. But uh, so people lose sight of the messages. But the um, the comments that people would make, like when they would leave 
uh, when they would donate, you could put like, why are you donating? Um, they were beautiful. A lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, some people would say things like, you know, I was heavily involved in prison ministry, but can't now. Um, and I feel bad. One woman said her father, she's an expat in China, and her father used to do prison ministry, and she feels so bad that she can't do it. But giving to me is a way of doing that for her because she can't do it. Oh, that's do beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? And, yep. you know, um, one woman was a part of the, it was really funny. I was in the airport and I was walking home or walking to my car and uh, I passed by a woman who had a big, uh, a black t-shirt with white letters on it, huge. And it said the innocence project. And I've heard of that, you know, in various news stories or whatever. And a woman who gave to me said, you know, I was actively involved in the innocence project in Louisiana. And I was like, I literally today, like you donate today, you write that today. I literally saw a woman today with that shirt on. And I was like, Oh, how cool. That is like something somewhat in solidarity with what I'm trying to do. And here is a donor now who is who does that, you know, or has done that in her past. Um, people so, sometimes money is the only way people can be a benefactor. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to say that it's a that like that when you give money that it trumps relationships. Right. I'm just saying it is very important. If not, I would almost say like not on par, but it's they're it's kind of comparing apples, apples and oranges. Both are necessary. Or coffee and water in the morning. You need both to wake up. <laughs> because like the the other thing is time is money. And when you give away oh, your sure. money. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. But when no yeah. no what I mean is when you give away your money, you're saying, Well, those five days of work I'm giving to the church. Like, I'm donating this mm, labor. Totally. Yeah. And so it, it is a way to do it. Now, and, and we all know there are ways of giving that are, you know, propping up my ego. But at the same time, and I think for most people, giving is, it's a good cause. I believe in it. You know, for some reason, I'm emotionally charged right now for it. But I, like, it's a way of participating when I can't directly do it. And I think that is totally valid. I think that's awesome. I I, uh, I just want to add one quick part that I think is very, very interesting. Um, it's really good that you wrote and that um, you thanked all, all, all of those people. It's, it is the right thing to do, uh, 100%. It's, it's honoring their, like, dignity as a person. Um, I think it's very important. There's this thing within the non-profit world where people feel like if if you have a person who gives over X amount of dollars, you need to call them within one to two days. And um, your nonprofit will, will determine what that amount is. And and uh, it's why I put it in there as part of the Patreon thing. I, I wanted to make sure that people of like a certain level got got a phone call but i read this very interesting this very interesting study earlier where a person said what's we we did this test with these groups here and we found that there was no difference between people who got a call saying telling them uh telling them like thank you and within um, those who did not as it related to increasing their chance of actually giving again and I think one of the reasons – I think what that points to is that people give because, like, the 
Ashley, reward is the gift. Yeah. And it's good to thank them again. It's because I think it's like it's you know I'm a human decency, and for people to know, hey, these people really care. These care about me. But when you, it's just and this is again just example in terms of a phone call, uh, they didn't increase giving at all because and I think what it's really and they have, so and they have also found um, so we now have the tax credit where everyone gets to believe a twenty four thousand dollar or it's a twelve thousand dollar tax credit each year. I forget what the number is. I apologize. Those are kind of different. Uh, one is qu- quite literally twice that of the well, other. Well, it might also be for married filing. Joint. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, basically now people don't get the tax credit that used to get when you gave in the past. Mm-hmm. And people were kind of concerned, oh, this might imp- like impact giving. It hasn't at all. People still continue to give at higher rates than 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 they ever have, Boomers. because <laughs> well, no, because I think the reward, just like you're saying, yeah. you know, you spend time with a homeless person. What is the reward? You spend time um, with a homeless uh, person. The reward is the gift itself. Yeah, and so I, that's why I really want to encourage people that they really one. The church says you have to give. You have to take. We have to take care of each other. And two, it really is healing. Like you, like people I know who who I know like very. Um, I don't really honestly. I haven't met anyone who like who basically gives money and who doesn't count the cost. Who doesn't seem to have a, like a little bit of joy. Yeah. In their like in in their life, so and it doesn't matter the amount. That's just that is just a zero. That doesn't mean it's just, it's again. If if I could tell you like what does a gift do with a group that like I work for in one sentence, it's the same thing regardless of the amount. Change lives, being there for others who who don't have any anyone else. Those are two things, and that like it's the same thing. It does the exact same thing. So give people enter into the struggle. The struggle that was good. is real, right? Mm-hmm. Street, whichever way I go.